You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. We are Micheli Mariotti, Alex Murphy, Rizal Alabado, and Adrian Bessa, best known as the management team behind MO Bar in Singapore. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats became the greats. This week, we have Mimi Schofield, who is a veteran of the industry and a key figure in opening our bar, the MO Bar, at Mandarin Oriental in Singapore. Enjoy. Hi, Mimi. Um, how are you? I'm good. good. Ciao. How are you? How are good. you, Michaela? <laughs> nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. So, uh, we'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Um, you've been working with uh, mm. Proof for a while, Proof & Co. I have, indeed, yeah. Over uh, three years now. Fantastic. And you've been in charge of some uh, amazing projects, uh, some very, very well-known bars. So, yeah. we'd like uh, to start by asking you, mm-hmm. what is it that uh, you do now? Would you like to talk to, uh, to us about your role? Sure. So, I think before like I, I start talking about my role, I think it's important to understand what Proof & Company is. Mm-hmm. So... Proof & Co, we are based in Singapore. This is where we have our headquarters. Mainly, we are a distribution company. Um, We also are bar owners and operators. You may have heard about 28 Hong Kong Street and Junior. And also, we do consultancy work. Now, we don't really like to use internally the word consultancy necessarily, as what we do is more in a way that... It's a little bit more complex. We stay there for quite a while. We stay with projects for a really long time, even after we are quote unquote done, um, just to kind of help out to build a community. So some projects which we worked on um, are 28, so obviously 28 Hong Kong Street, then you have Manhattan Bar at the Regent Hotel, then you have Atlas, um, Charles H. in Seoul, Um, So these are just a few names um, to name. Now, what we usually do, we are one of the first companies to be hired for these kind of gigs. And we have a pretty detailed and extensive workshop kind of development, like how we come up with these projects. So even you said, like, I've been on these projects or I've been leading them. We are all about the teamwork. Everything is about the teamwork. Everything is happening in the on the whiteboard during the whiteboard sessions. So two heads no more than one. So it's always always about the teamwork. So we just sit down and start brainstorming, and then whatever ideas we have, and if we know how to rectify properly, and then we know that it could be something, then we start elaborating on that more and go more and more into depth and put everything down on the paper, and then obviously presenting it to the client. So we are not just consulting, quote unquote again, um, on let's say just the beverages. We have a very intense 20 pillar plan. So we advise on music, for example, uniforms, food, price positioning, location, design and decor, layout, just to name few of the 20 pillars. So we always need to make sure that while we're writing these kind of documents, we have the structure and the backbone of the venue nailed down. So then we are not chefs, uh, we are not designers, but let's say if we are consulting on Italian cocktail bar, classic, (laughs) classic. (laughs) we're probably not gonna be um, serving burgers. So 
it always has, everything has to kind of make sense. So this is, um, in a nutshell, in maybe like two minutes, said what we do, and it's, it's much more complex. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. No, but it's always like this with this thing. Mm, but it's good yeah. to get a little bit of an understanding of the structure of it. And how, w what is your role about? What is it that you do? Like you mentioned you lead a, Mm -hmm. specific projects and you work mm -hmm. with a team. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we can talk a bit more about what is it that leading means. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, um, cool. Uh, one of my main aspects would be developing the industry, helping the industry within, so that's Singapore. So I take care of the Singaporean market. Mm -hmm. um, then education, a lot of education, hosting masterclasses for trade, for off-trade. Um, hosting cocktail sessions, helping on events, um, working on these projects, as I've mentioned, Atlas, Manhattan, mm -hmm. and now MOBAR. Mm -hmm. um, so if our clients need our help, we always go and we button, let's say. So it's a lot of jobs in one. So mm -hmm. ed educator, button, the barbeck, <laughs> delivery man. As I've mentioned, <laughs> we are a distribution company, Everything. so if deliveries <laughs> need to be delivered, I'm your delivery guy. <laughs> What's the most exciting part of this role that you have for you? Diversity. Every day is so different. Mm -hmm. As I've mentioned, I've been with the company for over three years, and every single day is different. I love that. There is no, there has been no point that I ever felt static. Uh-huh. I think I would die if that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this leads me to the next point, because uh, mm -hmm. in the UK, uh, well, that's where we met, uh, mm -hmm. you are a very well-established uh, bartender, bar operator, well, very well-trusted. Do you miss uh, being attached to a specific project or venue a little bit, or is this mm -hmm. something that doesn't fit within your DNA? I really like how you phrased it, because I do feel, I do miss being attached to the venues, mm -hmm. because they were part of me, you know, they mm -hmm. were, I was part of a team as exactly, well. Yeah. So I very much miss so these venues because there were different parts of my life. I wouldn't change anything. I think every venue was so different and every venue, I, I feel so grateful I was able to work there and mm -hmm. with such an amazing teams as well of, of, of young professionals. Um, I miss the people, I miss the connection to have with people. Our job at the moment is, it is mainly you are in the office and then in the evenings you go and work on, work behind a bar or you do an event. But mainly I do have to say it is an office job, mm -hmm. even though our office is super awesome and like you've been there, it's it's, uh -huh. it's a bar. Yeah, it, like it's, it's very it's much of a bar. It's exactly. A, yeah, <laughs> it's an office in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yes. <laughs> so I do miss the contact with people. So my background, uh, restaurant cocktail bar. No, uh, I worked in restaurants as well. And, um, you know, I think one of the amazing parts of the working in a restaurant is this uh, connection with the, the chefs and mm. all the, the research that goes into foraging ingredients and put them together and mm. the immense dedication that chefs have. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you come into contact with right now or is it more beverage focused? Mm -hmm. So at the moment we do work a lot with chefs on developing new garnish techniques, new flavors. In Singapore, it is ever so slightly difficult as we don't have here fresh produce. As Singapore is a very small country and there is not um, enough land to grow something. So everything has to be 
um, brought either from Australia or from another surrounding countries. So to have some sort of a fresh produce is ever so difficult, but obviously chefs, they can help you source items. It's not as intense, close work relationship as let's say was in these uh, restaurant bars before, but we're still trying to, we're always looking for passionate people who know what they're doing and partnering with them. So here in Singapore, a lot of them, thank God, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a city full of foodies, <laughs> which is great. Um, you have hawker centers everywhere. So like food plays big part in Singapore. So there is a lot of young talent and we do like to work with them very closely. So if we do find these young professionals who are excited, definitely we want to pick their brains. Awesome. How did you do that? What is the flavor? And also exploring um, which to us are unusual flavors, local Southeast Asian, which you wouldn't necessarily have the excess to them in London or anywhere in Europe. So working closely with chefs, incredibly important, but let's say time-wise, we don't spend as much time. Cool, so let's talk about a little bit how you managed to, how you got into this industry. Because hospitality industry is a very weird career <laughs> path to follow to the yeah. extent that you follow it, because you've been working in it for like, I mean, most Don't say it, because then they will know how old I am. <laughs> so as a result, uh, I think, uh, be quite inspiring to hear how someone, first of all, like you, got into this mm. industry, but then how you transitioned to a job which is less operational mm -hmm. and more mm -hmm. about developing products and selling them. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us what, what, where are you from and how did you get okay. into this industry? So I apologize for the slonglish. Um, so if something <laughs> doesn't make grammatical sense, just uh, just deal with it, because um, I'm Slovakian. Cool. <laughs> um, and how I got to this industry was actually quite, it wasn't planned. Usually people get into this industry, at least I have a feeling from necessity. Mm -hmm. I got into it out of curiosity. Okay. Um, I was actually a makeup artist on a beginning and a hairstylist oh, on my beginning of my career. Um, I actually have been quite well established in Slovakia on, let's say, over 10 years ago or so. <gasps> I spoiled it. Now people know oh, how old I am. Oh, that's, that's why you watch all this uh, makeup tutorial. Oh, my God. I love them. Oh, my God. That, my, uh... my husband is like, he hates it. He hates my makeup tutorials. I love them. It's my relaxation. It's still my hobby. It's still a huge part of my life. So makeup, hair was always what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to create something. Even before I got into makeup industry, I used to take sculpture classes and painting classes. I used to dance. Always some sort of a creative element for me was very necessary. Mm -hmm. um, I got accepted to university in the UK okay. after my high school. So I knew that I would need a little bit more cash. I do not come from wealthy family. Mm -hmm. We've been always very comfortable, but I wouldn't say that me moving from Slovakia to the UK would have been, you know, uh, financially very wise. <laughs> um, but I did it anyway. So the only thing I knew, and I think as Eastern Europeans, we have a quite, you know, solid work morale. I was like, I'm not going to be asking my mom. I'm doing, I'm making pretty great money with my hair and makeup stuff, but I needed more. I used to go to this venue called People's, and I loved it over there. I was a regular, I was a guest, and I befriended uh -huh. the bartenders, I befriended the waiters, and I befriended the managers. So one day I just came to my friend, manager, you know, of the restaurant, I was like, dude, 
I've never worked in a venue. I have no experience. I love this place. I am leaving in like three, four months. Would you give me a, would you give me a, you know, a, a gig? Would you try me? I was like, wow, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll probably suck. I'll probably <laughs> be like the worst waitress you've ever hired, but I would love to try it because I was very attracted to the whole ambience, to the whole atmosphere being in a venue. And again, it was a restaurant cocktail bar. Um, and he did. He gave me a he gave me a gig, and I started the next day. And he was actually very impressed when he was uh, testing me from the food and drinks items. I was like, "How come you know this?" I was like, "I've been your regular for for <laughs> such a long time." Exactly. Months. Exactly. I was like, me. "I've been practicing a lot. I mean, I know how the dishes look like because I've ordered them all. I know how the drinks taste like because I probably had them all, probably all in one night." Uh, uh. <laughs> So that was actually the easy part. But then, you know, the service and, um, and everything. But uh, one button that he really took a pity on me because I was on the floor for about a month and I loved it. I love being on the floor. But I was so interested in what was going on behind a bar and he kind of took a pity on me. I was like, okay, come here, here you go. Start squeezing lime and lemon juice. I was so excited. He was probably really? so relieved. Oh, juicing, really? Yeah, because really? I was behind the bar. <laughs> that was a, diff that was a different that. perspective. <laughs> looking at the whole venue, mm. you, you are one step higher than the rest. It's like, okay, I can see everything. I loved it. Squeezing that lemon juice, that was probably the best squeezed lemon juice. <laughs> oh, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was very excited. Probably my friend was very happy that he didn't have to do it. Yeah. But that's, that's, that for me was it. Just two, or no, maybe three months in this venue called People. Sadly, now it's closed. Um, not because of London. me. <laughs> this was in Slovakia. Oh, Slovakia. This Sorry. was still in Slovakia. Okay, and this yeah, was yeah. you were saving before moving over. Exactly. Okay, cool. So with this gig, I was saving, and it was amazing. Okay. It literally, I got so hooked that then kind of makeup drifted away and became just a hobby mm -hmm. uh, now, and... Hospitality became my life's work. So then you moved to London, studied university. Mm -hmm. Were you working somewhere during university? I wasn't. That was very hard. So I was living in Southampton. Okay. Um, it's pretty much a student city. So if you don't get there early, all the part-time gigs will be out. So I got there about a week before the school started, and that was considered late at the okay. time. Okay. So for, for about... A year, I didn't have a job. I was just a student, okay. which was awful, absolutely horrible. <laughs> no money. No, exactly, no money. Um, <laughs> Boy noodles in a kettle. Big time. <laughs> We've oh all my been god! There, we? Li living on uh, <laughs> living on pot of noodles, cup of noodles, cup of uh, noodles. Yeah, yeah, those oh, boys, yeah. Those so delicious, so delicious. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, and then I didn't finish my studies as. I wasn't really stimulated by the course. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. What was it? It was business management and international okay. marketing. So it sounds super interesting, mm -hmm. but it was not, okay. at least to me. Um, so I decided to leave the university, and then I moved to London from Southampton. Okay. And I lied my way in into a venue. As we all do. <laughs> yeah, of course. Big time. <laughs> but do you know what, man? It is super fake. <laughs> oh, my God. But listen to this. I this was so embarrassing. So, obviously, I lied on a CV. 
um, that I've worked at this all, all of these venues in Slovakia, you know, like in this amazing bar and that amazing bar. So I go to the interview and I give it my all. And then afterwards, the general manager goes in full Slovak. So uh, my name is Thomas and um, I am from Slovakia as well. I just, my face dropped thinking, oh my God, he knows these venues. Maybe he knows these bartenders, which I lied on a CV and created this uh -huh. homage. <laughs> and it's just not, none of it is true. <laughs> I have like three months of work experience. And yeah, he gave me a chance. I stayed, this venue was called Ruby and Sequoia in Notting Hill. Stayed it for about a year and a half, became a head bartender after about six months or so. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and that was it. But yeah, my first shift behind a bar. So I remember I was just before squeezing limes and lemons. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> on a good day. On a good day, you know. <laughs> and yeah, first night behind a bar. Everything else apart from talking to customers was interesting and exactly what I wanted to do. To polish a, a bar top, to be restocking a fridge, but not to talk to anyone. Because I was like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I was like, please just don't ask me. And the manager came and he noticed it straight away. He was like, um, would you mind like looking up and uh, perhaps like making <laughs> eye contact? <laughs> not being scared. <laughs> exactly. Oh. oh, I was, I was that myself. <laughs> I was, oh my God, it was awful. But yeah, then it just became easier with a lot of study and does, practicing. No? Yeah. So how many years have you spent in London? Uh, almost 10. Almost 10. Almost like 10 me. years. I spent nine years there. And yeah. um, so which one would you think, uh, I'm sure like, uh, you know, we all know London, the mm -hmm. pace is very fast and mm -hmm. like you end up hopping places quite mm -hmm. a bit. Which one would you think it's like, g give me the top three most defining working experience that you, experiences that you had in the UK. Every single venue gave me something else. Mm -hmm. Every single venue taught me something else because honestly, I started from zero and as I mentioned, lied myself in. Mm -hmm. So every venue was a different learning curve. Um, Ruby and Sequoia, the very first one would be in the top three because it gave me, I used to be chronically shy. Uh -huh. I would not talk to people. Uh, the first time I actually went to a restaurant was like a proper restaurant. I was about 17 years old. I hated eating in front of people and I would not talk no to way. people. Okay. Yeah, I would. That industry to me, or it would be so far away from who I was. Uh -huh. But I really wanted it. I really wanted to be a host. But when I was at that age, I didn't know how to, as I was so shy. Uh-huh. And bartending and Ruby and Sequoia, the very first one, gave me the confidence and gave me basically untwisted my tongue that I could talk to people and I don't feel shy about it. And that translated also to my private life, which I am very grateful for mm -hmm. because having that sort of a lifestyle would not be healthy and I don't know where I would be, you know, where I am now if I would be that shy girl who would not talk to anyone. Did, didn't so you, it, sorry to interrupt, mm, didn't you okay. find it easier to interact with people because there was a bar in between the two of you? There was this, like, this physical barrier? Mm, not necessarily. For me, it wasn't the physical. For me, it was the mental. For okay. me, it was like I was putting a, a show on. Okay. I was putting an act on. As soon as I put on a uniform, that was my persona. That was my act, my character. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually, it wasn't a character anymore, and that was me. So Ruby and Sequoia, very, very grateful because of that. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm to them. I will be internally grateful. 
And then another huge venue I think which impacted, had a huge impact on my life would be Hicks Marks Bar. Uh-huh. It's a beautiful bar. It's in central London, just outside Piccadilly, is it? Yeah, just outside Piccadilly on a Borough Street. And that's where I really, I, f- I felt that I was scratching the surface of what craft means. Mm-hmm. You make your homemade ingredients. Before, the only thing I would make would be a sugar syrup and lime and lemon I juice. Know. <laughs> you know, your we would. Exactly, my favorite, my favorite. Um, we wouldn't really make anything else. Mm. We wouldn't even pre batch back then. Uh, and then I got to Hicks. Uh, what year was this, if I may ask? This was 2009. 2009. So you work with uh, Ladislav, haven't you? Yeah, so oh, we okay. just swapped. Ladislav hired me. Oh, there you but go. But that's where we met. Ah, we met, yeah, because um, I wanted to learn. I wanted to observe other bartenders while I was at Ruby's. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to go around London, and I used to go to different venues and sit down and observe and have a one drink and sip it for five hours because I couldn't afford two. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. Classic um, yes, and, and I would just sit and observe older bartenders. No disrespect, lad. Not, not saying that you're old. <laughs> wow. Wiser, wiser yeah. bartenders, you know, and just look at their technique, look at how they were dealing with guests, um, how they were m- mixing and what they were doing, what not they were doing. Um, and one of these guys was Ladislaw, lad, and we became friends, and then I needed another job, and I asked him, well, would you hire me? And he did, and again, gave me a chance, and I had no idea about that side of the Uh bartending world at all, and we started making shrubs and uh, fermenting and uh, cooking and batching and boiling and something so on the opposite of spectrum from what I knew, so mind-blowing and eye-opening. And this is where the connection between, when I, where I saw it, the connection between chefs and bartenders kind of formed, and that was extremely appealing to me. As a restaurant bar, Hicks was mm. one of the pioneering bars, I remember. At this absolutely. time, it was absolutely at the forefront of the scene in London. How long have you been there for? I've been there for about, oh, do you know what I can't even remember? A year, maybe? A little over here. The bar was phenomenal, but it, it was a little bit exhausting. Uh, the pace. Bar? It was a yeah. downstairs bar. Uh, I'll, I'll be very real with you. The, the hours were excruciating, and we all know. <laughs> yeah, we all know. I mean, like uh, you from Savoy, I mean, yeah. you guys you guys work, worked pretty ridiculous hours. That was, um, you know, closing at 2 or 3, like getting home, mm. and then being there at 9 a.m. It, it, that was a little bit um, exhausting, but... No regrets at all. Like, I would do it all over again. Absolutely. But I think uh, the, probably the amount of hours and, like, the, the um, sort of unsociable hours we work in our mm. industry probably are one of the biggest challenges mm. that newcomers find when they come into this industry because the amount mm. of work we need to put into it. But I think another challenge probably coming from your side would have been, like, I don't know if you feel like it, but the amount of, like, the balance in between male and female employees probably nowadays could be mm. seen as one of the potential challenges for new female colleagues. Is this something that troubled you or gave you an issue throughout your, during your career? Or Do you know really? what? Mm. You didn't it didn't, it it didn't give me any troubles. I didn't feel it because I never gave it a chance to even become a question. Mm-hmm. A de- if a delivery came, 
you know, I was the first one to grab three boxes and like carry it up and down the stairs or wherever the, the stock room was. I never wanted it to become an issue. Perhaps I was uh, naive about it and I didn't really, I didn't even seek it, I didn't even think about it at all as when it came to work, that was work. If something has to be done, you know, the task is not if it's male or female, the task just has to be done. And it doesn't matter who's doing it, it just has to be done. Mm -hmm. So if it's carrying heavy boxes, if it's fixing an ice machine, if it's fixing a dishwasher, I was like, okay, well, now I'm gonna be uh, a plumber. Now <laughs> I'm gonna be an electrician and pray for the best I'm not gonna get elect electrocuted, <laughs> you know? And we live in a world of technology. You take your phone, you Google it, all right, now I can fix this ice machine. So it was always whatever had to be done, it has been done. So I never really felt it. I started feeling it a little bit more when I moved more to the managerial role. Mm -hmm. Not being that I felt as a woman in management role, not at all, that, that, that's not, 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 not what I'm trying to say. It's I just started to see a little bit of a I just started to feel that the industry was male-dominated. Before, mm -hmm. it never really occurred in my mind. Oh, I wasn't paying much attention to it, but afterwards, I was like, damn, like, there is not many girls in this industry. Why? Mm -hmm. Why is that so? Is it because the job is hard? It is hard, yeah, absolutely. I'm, that, that, that's the fact. Uh -huh. But it's so rewarding, so I always wondered why is it so male-orientated? And as a woman, I don't know how to answer that because I love what I do. Mm -hmm. I would do it all over again. Um, I wish that more girls would join this an amazing community because it is awesome. So don't be shy, you know. I've been once. Just apply and go for it. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed uh, from my side <clears throat> is that it occasionally is quite difficult to see... Uh, women in our industry and performing, like being taken seriously to a certain extent. Like mm. I, I've, I've seen throughout my career sometimes that a, a female representative would work on the floor and if it was bar, mm. has to be a man because of all mm. the things that you mentioned before, heavy lifting, mm. this and that. And, but do you think there's anything that could be done to get, get it a bit more on an even playing field mm. or? You see, Perhaps the reason I, why I really didn't pay much attention to it, because every venue I worked, we didn't really have floor staff, bar staff. We just had staff. And everyone had to be a bartender, and everyone okay. had to be a floor, floor team member. Um, so always the rota has been done. So you are three nights behind the bar, or four nights, and you're doing two on a floor. Obviously bartender hires would have predominant hours behind the bar, but still would be doing floor shift. So we always mingled and shuffled around and did cross training. So that was always the case in every venue I worked, which I am very grateful for, um, because it is a big eye opener. It's very different, floor bar, but working together and knowing exactly what's happening on each side, I think that's very important. I think not to be having these, how to put it, um, not to be having these prejudices or 
about male-female, just mingle, just doesn't matter what gender you are, just do the job the best you can, and who cares if you're a male or female? Agreed, totally agree. So we talked about uh, <laughs> three venues that characterize mm -hmm. the, the defined you. We talked about two, what's the third? Mm -hmm. The third, who that would be very hard. Hmm. I think bamboo. Bamboo, that was a, again, a restaurant, a beautiful five-story listed building uh, next to Tontem Square mm -hmm. with a little bar called the Red Bar. Mm -hmm. It holds a very dear place in my heart as, again, I've learned something very different over there. That venue at the time was curating and holding the largest Japanese whiskey collection in Europe, I believe. I it was at the time. Yeah. That's where we met. That's the first time I had a conversation with you, I think. Really? Yeah, I think but it was I, in Bamboo. But I remember you from, from uh, Savoy, because like, I've been going there since Yeah, I, I think we've seen each other around right. in industry events, but I think the first time where I had an active conversation okay. with you was in Bamboo Red Bar. Ah, yeah. okay. There you go. <laughs> so because of that... <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> of that... <laughs> yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was there. <laughs> I just don't want to be so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> That's all my questions were leading to that point. Come on, she's going to say Dear listeners, thank you very much. That's it. That's ciao. <laughs> uh, yeah, so holding such a stock, you need to really start focusing on one category. It's not just focusing, but you need to be focusing on everything else. But predominantly, it's you need to geek out on something, on a Category. You mm -hmm. need to create your whole concept around that and be nurturing it and expanding it and evolving it. And it was so different. Again, something which I've never done. I love things which I've never done before. It's very appealing. It's very stimulating. It's very exciting. Um, so again, it was something which I've never done into such an extent. And it was mind-blowing. That venue I loved very much. If you would like to visit the collection, you may do that. You may do so at Sexy Fish in London. <laughs> Go and say hi to the bottles. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so, uh, quick uh, question in regards to that, because uh, it was an amazing venue, and the team was fantastic, but uh, it uh, sadly closed down. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And it was one of those places that, uh, because you had these industry nights there, mm -hmm. I remember. Clandestine. Yeah, yeah, clandestine, which was this series of events that you had. Yeah. Was it like a Monday, once a month, once a month? It was, uh, it was once a month, once every two months, and just come in and you just have a great time. <laughs> so, and you had some pretty big names there because I remember Eric uh, was like one of the opening guys Eric, there. Eric, Stanislav Vaderna, uh -huh. Stanley, um, yeah, pretty big names. Um, I think Zdenek was there as well, uh, Kastanek. Uh, so quite a few big names. We also um, hosted um, Yamazaki and Hibiki. So it was big events, huh? Yeah, Master Distillers. So it was it was a lot. And uh, there was a moment where you were uh, in the top ten at Tales of the Cocktails, if I'm not two mistaken. Years two row. years in a row. Yeah. Uh, 2014 and 15. We were very honored to make it to top ten Spirited Awards, uh, the best international restaurant bar. So that was incredibly rewarding. It was it was amazing. Great achievement. And uh, teamwork. I think uh, what uh, the venue closed down, right? Mm -hmm. So and I think what the way we perceived it from the outside, because mm -hmm. I'm sure you were 
having brought a deeper connection that we had. Yeah, and I would love to know, like, how did you guys? Yeah. So about the way it? it looked uh, from our perspective, because we saw it as this sort of like great industry place, and you know, with mm. such respected individuals like yourself, uh, Ladislav, and like all the hard work that you guys put in mm. there, you know, like we, it almost felt like this is so weird because it's a successful mm. place, but then we came to find out that the place was being bought and something like that that That's was happening. It. Um, yeah, yeah, but. I would like to see how was from your perspective having to put the, having put in so much effort and energy into that, and then having seeing it dissipate like that. How how did it feel? And it was heartbreaking. Mm. And this is what we talked about on the beginning, like the feeling, the connection you have to the venue, to the it's the feeling, is the connection to the feeling. It was very heartbreaking, and I still feel sad about it because it wasn't be because of financial issues. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't because of that. It did go down to business. Uh, business side of the company who was overseeing the building, which um, was Caprice Holdings, amazing company, mm -hmm. absolutely phenomenal what they're doing in the hospitality. So it came down to that. And that was a little bit sad to see that they wanted to sell the building and essentially transfer their finances into more, which is more on brand within Caprice uh -huh, Holdings. Uh -huh. So, but is speaking about mm. uh, your personal life at the mm. moment, is this, wh when did you meet your husband? Was, were you working in <laughs> Mabu at the time or no? No. Um, Was it okay, after, so before? I met. It's uh, around that time, is it? It's not that far I, off from it. Is I it? met him while I was at Hawksmoor, Seven Dials. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. which is the next uh, place where you've been after Bamboo? Or was it? Before. It before was prior. Bamboo. Okay. Bamboo was the last one before I uh, moved here to Singapore. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so we met when I was at Hawksmoor, Seven Dials. Uh, amazing venue as well. The team was phenomenal. You, I spent You like restaurant years. bars, do you? Love them. Have, have you worked in places that are not restaurant never. bars? Ne never. I have never worked in just a cocktail bar. To me... Or a hotel bar or anything like that? Never. No. I would find that I would not be fu fulfilled. Okay. I need that food aspect, not just bar snacks. Bar snacks would not satisfy me. I need to talk about food as well. I need to talk about wine as well. So you don't feel like you, you missed that as aspect from your career? Absolutely no. not. Not at all. Um, I think I had a great... I, I'm still working on my career, you know. Uh -huh. still learning, evolving... Um, I, I would not change a bit. Working just in a cocktail bar, it's everyone wants something different. Everyone likes yeah, no, something no, exactly. else. For me, what I always enjoyed, restaurant cocktail bars, and I never seeked for anything else. Koi Vardes, that was a members bar, but on a Still first a floor. Strong, yeah, restaurant. On a, exactly, yeah. on a ground mm. floor, there was a restaurant bar. So, uh, sorry mm. if I interrupted. Let's go back okay. to, to your uh, <laughs> sweet half. So, yes, tell yes. me. So we met uh, at the Savoy, actually. Okay. Um, I was in a meeting. Um, this brand approached me. Um, they wanted to work on something. And this, this gentleman came from Czech Republic as he was not representing the brand, but he was from a production company as he was supposed to oversee the project. So he didn't really understand our hospitality, our industry, and he couldn't wrap his head around it. So I was like, I need to take you to the Savoy. That's where we need to go. You need to go to the Savoy, and you will see what good hospitality can be about. Not just if you go to a 
classic English pub. Or uh. whatever. I was like, I want to show you this. Um, so first we went to, I took him to the Beaufort bar to see Lorenzo. Lorenzo okay, Antinari. yeah, of course. And we sat down in the bar and I was like trying to explain to him, you know, this is this and this is the history and this is what this is all about. And there is a Tom Jones sitting in the corner, you know. And then suddenly this guy with uh, Harry Potter glasses uh, pops out. <laughs> classic. Um, yeah, classic. <laughs> and we just say hi and, you know, I compliment him on his spectacles. And uh, that was it. That was that. Met at the Savoy. So then you met uh, blah, blah, blah. We won't go too much into details of your first date. No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no Let's not do that. Details. Let's not do that. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, then uh, you have a relationship and... Mm -hmm. uh, you're very good at your job, he's very good at your job, and then uh, you had the opportunity to move here to Singapore, am I right? I did. So the way how I got this job with Proof & Company was actually they approached me mm -hmm. um, if I would be interested in joining their team. And it pretty much went down something along this line. Joe, we're moving to Singapore. <laughs> 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 and then that was how that it was. It was it was pretty amazing when I opened my mailbox and that email was there if I would like to have an interview and there and I was just like mind blown. It's like really? Like, Do you have the right email address? <laughs> you know, uh, it was phenomenal. So when we took the first interview and the second, it was it was exactly I knew exactly what I was supposed to do and that was that. All the work I've done previously was kind of leading to this kind of gig. So and how did it? Why Singapore? What made you think Singapore was the place? Was it the job more than the city? It was, uh, yes, it was more okay. the job than mm -hmm. the city. But, I mean, Singapore is pretty awesome. No, no, it's, of course. It's an yeah, awesome yeah, yeah. place to be. And uh, how did uh, Joe react to that? Because at the time, he was working at the Savoy. He's been there for, like, what, a year and a half, two years, maybe? he was there about for a year and a half. Yeah, and he was um, doing very well, was he? Mm -hmm. Like, he was w the only person that was successfully managed to work in between the two bars. He's, yeah, so far the, the, only, the only one, mm -hmm. our, our busy bee. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we actually wanted to leave London. It was something which we were talking about. Uh, we didn't know where, we didn't know when, we didn't know how or what to do, but it was just a thought which we had that we would like to um, try a new city. We're still young, um, full of energy, thank God, you know. And we still <laughs> wanted to learn something new and just try a, another culture, another industry, see things from a different perspective. Um, Japan was on the table, but sadly because I am Slovakian and I hold Slovakian passport, not British passport like my husband, um, I would have not been able to get um, uh -huh. to your working visa. I would have needed a sponsor. Okay. And to get that in Japan is quite tricky. So we were like, okay, well, this doesn't work. Literally the next day, I got the offer from Proof & Company mm -hmm. to join their team. So I was like, well, babe, you know, if it's not Japan, is it okay if it's going to be Singapore? Um, so that, that's why we kind of decided both to go. It was, it was, it was time at the, at the time. So then you moved, <coughs> you moved uh, here in Singapore. Mm -hmm. You moved before Joe did. In fact, mm -hmm. I remember having this conversation with him, and Joe said that when he came here, all he had to do was just to drop his luggage, and everything was taken care of that's, by you. That, so. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm a, I'm a proper type A personality. Like I have to organize everything. Every, every, I need to know everything. I'm, I'm leading the crowd. I'm, I mean. Proper type A. <laughs> so after uh, almost 10 years in the UK, mm -hmm. to move to a different country mm -hmm. by yourself at the very beginning, mm -hmm. 
starting everything from scratch, mm -hmm. what were the challenges you had? Nothing. 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 Zero challenges. That's good. Nothing. <laughs> the biggest challenge now when moving to countries was as 18-year-old moving from Slovakia to the UK. That was a major challenge. Uh -huh. uh, moving from London to Singapore, nothing. It's quite seamless, it was, is it? It was... Singapore is Asia for beginners. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's extremely <laughs> multicultural. It's very modern. People are extremely friendly. Um, it's a small city. So if anywhere within the city center, you can be, you can walk it just five minutes, or if you grab a taxi, it's a couple of minutes. So it's very small. So very easy to wrap your head around it. So I wouldn't say I had any challenges. Um, I mean, to fi finding a flat was a little bit challenging as uh, I'm very picky. And as I've mentioned, I'm very much type eight personality. Uh, so it had to be, you know, perfect. This, that's where you spend your calm times and you want to recharge your batteries. It's mm -hmm. kind of, that's how I think about a home. It's, a, it's your sanctuary. So it had to be right. And then, yeah, found the right apartment, which was the very last one. Seen about 50 or 60 apartments. <laughs> Classic. No, jo no joke. Yeah, I remember we looked at so many apartments. It was oh incredible. It's difficult because you need to strike the right balance. Yeah. But I find it easier than London. Because in, sure. in London is about trying to find the flat that you hate the least. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> While here is about finding a place that you actually like. Yeah, isn't? exactly. Yeah. I had an amazing realtor, uh, and he was he was phenomenal, uh, but he was a little bit frustrated with me because I wasn't viewing apartments by the Singaporean standards. Oh, really? Um, so I wasn't um, um, respectful enough in a way oh, that because yeah, you need to, you here, need to come it? in, and even if you don't like it straight away, you kind of need to like, walk around for another half an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm yeah, not really like that. Thing. So sometimes I just saw the <laughs> building and I was like, no, we can go. <laughs> or just literally walked in, walked out. No, we can go. This is not where I want to live. I was like, look, I don't want to be wasting your time. Blah, blah, you don't blah, want to be wasting my time. Yeah. Um, but he was amazing. So he really put up with me and, you know, God bless him. And then, yeah, last apartment, that was it. So challenges? No. It was very, very... There were some challenges, I mean... We took unfurnished apartment because we wanted to furnish it ourselves. You know, once this month, we're getting a bed frame, <laughs> not just sleeping on a mattress. You know, the next month, we're going to have a sofa. One step at a time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. Like, I, I agree with you. Like, I, mm. I think uh, building a flat from scratch is actually mm. quite an exciting exactly, thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Especially because you go from having nothing and like literally, like uh, when I moved somewhere, I didn't even have Lina the first time. Not here in Singapore, my yeah. first flat in London. And like the sense of building it, it's actually quite rewarding. Did so, you yeah. find it challenging moving from London here? Uh, not really. Um, I think there are a few minor uh, cultural differences in, mm -hmm. in the terms, in, especially for like larger companies. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the level of control is different from the one that you have in Europe. So from a work perspective, slightly, mm -hmm. but from a life perspective, not that much. Mm. You know? I think, uh, as you said, it's, it's literally Asia for beginners, mm. you know. Yeah. So Even from work perspective, everything, the transition for you. was... Yeah, yeah. It was very easy. It was very smooth. The team was incredibly welcoming. Uh, great training, you know, great induction uh, month or so. So everything was made very easy. So I would love to say... Oh, I had these kind of struggles. But not really. No, That's good. That, that would be a lie, no. So, <laughs> talking about your time here in Singapore, you worked, uh, you mentioned before, on some amazing projects mm -hmm. and things like that. I remember when uh, 
you put me in contact with Philip Bishop for the first time mm. when I was here. <laughs> I, I found it very helpful to have this sort of conversation with someone who's like mm. a veteran of the market, like Philip is. is Philip is the bar, used to be the bar manager of Manhattan Bar. Uh, but what he said to me uh, at the time, one of the things that he said to me is, uh, oh, you know, you'll be fine. You're working with Proof. Like, you have a good relationship with them. And Mim is in charge of your projects. He's awesome. You'll have zero issues. Uh, just to reiterate on that, what kind of relationship do you have with the places that you open, like, mm -hmm. say, that you worked on, like your projects like your Manhattans and your Atlases mm -hmm. and all that? So we still even as i've mentioned in the beginning quote unquote we are done with the project we are not really done because over time you do become attached to the mm -hmm. venue and you want it to thrive and just to do a mic drop on it, that's not our style and especially when we are our headquarters are based in singapore and this goes to all of our other markets we have offices in hong kong in uh, beijing shanghai Sydney, Melbourne, so we, we have regional Asia, so we do take care of our projects in every single market very dearly. We, we do take them very seriously. So if one of our previous projects or OGs, you know, um, asks for help, we are always there. We always try to go into whatever meeting uh, we can with the bar or the hotel or the restaurant. Um, so it's it's a really that's why we don't really like to use the word consultant, because usually when the job is done, it's done. But we, I mean, Manhattan has been open for how long now? Five years, six years? Is it that long? Yeah, about five years now. So the job again, quote unquote, has been done like four years ago, <laughs> and we're still there. Like a few months back, I did a shift. Um, Manhattan guys, Philip called us. He's like, look. We are all traveling. There are a couple of people sick. We need someone to do a Saturday shift. I can. I can do it. Okay, just tell me what time and where, and I'll I'll be there. That's I mean, very cool, huh? Yeah, so we do have these kind of relationships and always try to help. We always try to elevate the industry in whatever market we are. It, even if we are not there, it's, it's all about community. It's all about teamship. It's We are all in this boat together. It's not who's against who, it's we all work together and we want to help. It's, I want to underline that, we always want to help. It's whatever you need, we are there. I think that's also which we really take our pride in, like with distribution, for example, we don't have a cut of time and we don't really have minimum orders. You want that one bottle of Angostura bitters? You get that one bottle of Angostura bitters, you know? And we do all our best to get it to you on time if you go like, dude, like, I just dropped all my Angostura bitters. <laughs> nah, and, you know, I it's Friday up, yeah. night. We will make sure that it will be delivered to you on the day. So it's all about the community. So you mentioned to me once that uh, you and Joe do not talk about work when no. you guys are off. But my question to you is, uh, basically, if you look at it, I don't know if you have ever uh, seen it from this perspective, mm. but maybe from the outside, like, it, it, it's very obvious that between you and Joe, you probably are the one couple in the world who has worked on more award-winning bar projects <laughs> ever. And, and that's a fact, you know? I, I think there are other couples that are well-known, like Simo, Simone, mm. uh, for instance, uh, and, 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 you know, his working partners, you know? Mm. Uh, but they have worked on a lot of bars, mm. but award-winning like the Artesian was, mm. it's literally like only that. And, yeah. you know... 
and if you look at yourself and Joe, like you had uh, all sorts of recognitions and awards, and like it, it's incredible. Like now you made me blush. I don't think, think about, about that. that. No, it's crazy, <laughs> no? And I find it incredible that the two of you never speak about work. There must be instances in between the two of you where you end up talking about work. We talk about how our day was. Okay. You know, um, I did this, I did that, you know. This was a little bit challenging, but we never talk about just work. And we, yeah, we don't talk about work. Like, we never go into detail that what exactly in detail I am dealing with. Uh-huh. It also would be a breach of confidentiality. Of course, yeah, no, of course. Even though he's my husband, I am simply not going to do that. And also, he's not going to do that. And I don't even want to know, you know. But we do talk about more like, you know, this was really hard today, you know. Um, I had three or four meetings, which were two hours long each, and, you know, it was a little bit difficult, whatever. Mm-hmm. We talk about it in that sense. But we never go to each other and then break down and analyze no, everything. Because mm-hmm. for us, the first thing, we're a couple. And we love to talk about everything else. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to hold a conversation, not just about work. Because work is not everything. I don't want to be defined just by my work. Of course. Like, Joe is so much more than to, you know, uh, just bartender or bartender of the year. And he... He's a very smart man and incredibly inspirational, and I'm so proud, you know, to to call him my husband. And I like to think I'm much more just just to be associated, just to be a bartender. Yeah, uh, defined by defined yeah. by that. Yeah. So I think for that reason, we don't really talk much about work. So a couple of quick questions mm-hmm. about the two of you, because uh, he's got a strong restaurant bar background as well. Mm-hmm. Pro- you you have a much stronger background mm-hmm. when it comes to restaurants and bar mm-hmm. combined together. Uh, but uh, my point is, when you the two of you go out and like we see a lot of different bars, mm-hmm. like do you have the same standards of what it's a good bar or what's the best bar in that mm-hmm. in that sense? Because you know we live nowadays in a like our industry has evolved into a lot of it goes down to like putting things into a list, you know, like mm. from this is the best and this is the second mm. best and this is the fifth mm. best and this is the 44th best. Do you have, find yourself to rate places in the same way or do you have fundamental disagreements on what a bar is supposed to be? Not anymore. So I don't, <laughs> I don't work on my nights off anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do discuss it how we liked it, uh-huh. um, how we like the food, how we like the ambience, uh, but not enter such a detail like, oh, from the 20 plural perspective, you know, like uh. this was off, that was off. Um, we don't really do that. Um, at least I used to, but I've learned not to anymore because I want to have a night off mm-hmm. and I just want to enjoy myself and I just want to have a great time. So I never try to be working. Obviously, the... Obviously, a thought or two do pop into your head, you know, that would be not realistic, but I always try to not to be judging. It's an analyzing and deconstructing, and it's like, oh, and this could be this. Um, He's the same. We just want to go in and enjoy a good time. So we don't really overthink that. Uh, But then perhaps the next day when we sleep on it, we do. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) 
So tell me about uh, your makeup tutorials and things like that. Are you still into that? <laughs> oh my god, that's what I went. That's what I sleep with. So that's <laughs> right before I go to bed. I watch two or three makeup tutorials a day. Yeah, like one is about 15 minutes long. So okay. that's about it. I just love it. Go on YouTube. I have few YouTubers which I follow, and I've been following them for years, and they entertain me, and it makes me feel good. And then I go and go to Sephora and spend X amount of money on probably something I don't <laughs> even need and probably doesn't even work. But I feel younger and I see those wrinkles. And that's the most important <laughs> exactly, thing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, your hobby needs to make you feel happy and it needs to, make, needs to fulfill you. Makeup is, that, that's, that's, that's that for me. I, I remember once I was having this conversation with Denek and he said to me that, it's important that you find this one thing that completely unplugs you from, from work. Yeah. Right? I think nowadays we work in a society, he was mentioning as well, that you know, it requires you to be plugged in 24-7 yeah. because it's so easy just to lift up your phone and send mm -hmm. an email to someone. And you know, to have this one thing that when you do it, it just mm -hmm. completely unplugs you from the world and like yeah. resets your brain is very, very important. I, I can't agree more. I have, I have few hobbies like this. Um, just to, you know, keep me stimulated and just to keep me sane. It's, we do live in this world of technology and social media and um, I am trying to not to use my phone, like, a lot. If I know that I'm going to a restaurant, I don't take it out. Um, I leave it in my bag. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I am going to a meeting, um, I don't want to be looking at that phone. So whatever little opportunity I have, I am trying to be good in this sense and then with these hobbies, I think it's so important not just not to forget that work is very important and it's very rewarding and it's it's makes you feel great. But also, how do you recharge? How do you switch off? Because mm -hmm. there are some days when you don't have time for your hobbies, and I don't know how you, but I always find myself I never can fall asleep because I I keep thinking all the time, like constantly. So and that's not good. I don't want that, you know, to to fall asleep to a good book, you know, to fall asleep to a to a good book. Like that's something which I enjoy. Then my silly my silly makeup tutorials or going to the gym. That these are like kind of my three main things. I need to go to the gym. I need to watch my makeup, and I need to have a good book on nightstand. What, what really helps me is that I have something that helps me to unwind during the night, mm -hmm. but I have something that really helps me waking up. And okay. I think I've got this, this routine where, because I work uh, most evenings, mm -hmm. so usually I wake up, I take my time for breakfast and everything, and then I, I have a, a, num a set number of uh, American talk show comedians that I okay. work, like my Stephen Colbert and all that, yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. and that really puts me in the mood. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I just, it, it's, it's, I know it sounds super bad, but it's my way of digesting the news because I read a lot of news before going to bed. Mm. Ah. And then when I wake up, I just, it spins <laughs> it to a very fun, in a very fun way. Yeah. And that actually sort of like helps me. Absolutely. You know, unwind. Netflix, love Netflix. Oh, what, Netflix, yeah. Yeah, watching movies or something, you know, some TV series, always there is something. I take pride in knowing also how to relax. I think it's, it's a very important skill. I think it, having that makes you so much more productive, does it? Absolutely. It's mm. yeah, we are all busy, you know. I am I'm so sick and tired of hearing like when you meet someone and you go, So how are you? 
oh, so busy, so busy. Uh -huh. Yeah, we are all are, but how are you? Like, what's new? Talk to me. Like, I want to know. I'm actually generally asking, and I believe you are busy. We all are, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. But I think it's so important to, to not to feel guilty and taking some time mm -hmm. off during a day. I agree. Uh, you mentioned Japan earlier mm -hmm. on. Uh, that was one of the places that you considered. Mm -hmm. Have you had the chance to go to Japan since? <gasps> oh, my God. Um, your honeymoon had a, was there, was it? Yeah. Um, had a, the privilege, actually, of going twice. Uh, with Joe, we went in, like, 2015. 2015, we went for nine days. We backed back, backpacked. Um, in nine days, we did Tokyo, Kyoto, Hiroshima, Niajima, Mount Fuji, and then back to Tokyo. So was this it before? Was this was before you moved to Singapore. This was before. Yeah. Absolutely, it was. It was so mind blowing. The cult. It's like different planet. It is, it's isn't phenomenal. it? Phenomenal. So alien. Huh? Yeah, so alien, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. So, it's so cool. Uh -huh. It's so amazing and. I love how people are respectful and it's so quiet and so different. Um, it's so different. So then after we got married and we were thinking, well, where should we go on our honeymoon? Like it was, you know, we both without even thinking of another place went Japan. We just need to go to Japan. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic place for it to yeah. be. Yeah. I've been to, I, had a, I was lucky enough to go to Japan as well. And, you know what I really liked about it, as you said, is that it's so alien, mm. but so welcoming at the same time, mm. because it's an, I find it an extremely accessible experience, you know? It was. I would go to Japan any day, any time. Mm. It's anywhere you go. The food is amazing. The hospitality is fantastic. Unbelievable, The venue it? looks yeah. nice. Uh, it's, just, it's just a different world. So is traveling a big thing for you? Huge. Every opportunity I have. I mean, not so much anymore, but I love to travel. Travel mm -hmm. is everything. When I was in London, I always used to go once a month for two or three days somewhere. It's so easy to do it from London, so isn't easy. it? So easy. I think this is one of the things that people do not uh, take advantage of enough when they're mm -hmm. in London is yeah. the ease that you have to just hop into a flight and within two hours you're in a completely different country, completely different climate. You can unwind. It's amazing, is it? It's so phenomenal. Like, you just hop on and, like, for 30 quid, you're in Spain. And it's you crazy, are, yeah. But then, like, if you want to, let's say, explore more UK, that's ridiculously mm -hmm, expensive. Like, mm -hmm. the trains, you just go, like, two <laughs> stops and it's 30 bucks. Yeah. Sorry, it's 30 quid. Oh, <laughs> It's like, well, I don't to really Leeds, 200 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> So Joe, he's from Manchester, um, and every now and then we used to go and see his family. Train from London to Manchester is more expensive than a flight from London to Slovakia. That's crazy. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's absolutely mind blowing. I remember once we went to we did a weekend in uh, we went to Bath or something like that, yeah. and it costed me more than flying to Venice, which is where I'm from, which is <laughs> totally unbelievable. It's so, crazy. Do you miss Europe or? I do. Mm -hmm. um, I do consider myself as a European soul, mm -hmm. but I love Singapore, I love Asia. Um, I think it's just so different, and just to gain more experience and um, to explore different cultures. And you know, like how we just talked about being in London, and you just can go to Spain and Italy and just hop on a plane. We have the same thing here in Singapore. Mm -hmm. Two hours away from Bali, you know, 45 minutes away from Phuket. Mm -hmm. So 
what feels in Europe so far, it's so close over here. It's Absolutely. Like such, such a distant thought of going to Phuket, you know. But over here, it's like, ah, you know, just 50 <laughs> well, bucks. weekend, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, let's just go to the Phuket, you know. Let's, go, let's just go to Bali for the weekend. It's, it's so different. I love that. Again, the traveling part is it's very, it's very important to recharge in any way possible. You know, one of the things that made me, like, one of the things that I found very, very interesting of moving here was the fact that I'm 100% Italian and, and, and I'm very proud of where I'm from. But, but when I moved here, I felt almost like that being European prevailed in a way. Like, I feel like almost like being European is sort of a nationality kind of thing, you know? Because, yeah, but because you see so many similarities in between how we are in Europe, mm. and then you come here and there's this direct contrast with how Asia is in terms of like from a cultural perspective, how, how alien it is, no? Do you mm. feel the same a bit or? Uh? I think we kind of put these kind of thoughts into our head, like, and also what we see like in news. Like for example, I had a completely different image in my head what China is. That's very true, absolutely. Like, I love China, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I actually had a meeting a couple of days ago and it was really interesting. It was about Latin American culture, you know. Over here in Southeast Asia or in Asia, to have a difference between, let's say, Caribbean and Mexican cuisine, it's the same. But then to us, it's like, would you be able to name me like Chinese cuisines? Like Sichuan, and, but to us, it's Chinese. Exactly. But yeah. like, to them, it's like so specific. So I think it's, it can go both ways. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and that's one of the amazing things about I was Singapore. only able to name one, Szechuan. Which other uh, countries have you explored here that surprised you, in a way? Um, there were a few that very memorable. Um, I've been actually to Egypt four times. Oh. Yeah. I am a huge fan uh, of ancient Egypt, so going there was absolutely phenomenal. So, so you saw the pyramids? I've been inside a pyramid. In the pyramid. I've been I heard this mega inside. claustrophobic. It's, it, it's super claustrophobic. <laughs> it's super, super claustrophobic, but it was mind-blowing. I was only seven years old when no we went way. for the first time, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was so memorable. It was so impressive. It was so intimidating. It was so scary, exhilarating. It, it's a memory I cannot, and I hope I will never forget. So, I still remember... The entrance, how we went there. And then so how's everything. the inside? Because I heard it's like this like very intricate system of uh, very, very like crammed uh, tunnels. Uh, yeah. Do you get to some larger chambers or yeah, stuff like so that? Yeah, so we did. So basically you go through shafts. Um, we didn't go through like the main entrance because that's not allowed. It's not excavated. So you go via different ones. I don't think so actually now you can enter the pyramids. Okay. We talk, we're talking in 1996. You just gave away your age uh, right now, by the way. <gasps> Still young and beautiful. Still young and beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, a long time ago, so you still could go inside a pyramid. I'm not sure if you can now. But, yeah, so we just, it was a group of, I think, 10 or 15 of us. And they did say, if you do have Except claustrophobia, this, like, yeah. do not go inside. It was pretty claustrophobic, even for a short seven-year-old kid. Seriously? So uh, how, like, how tall I are the I had tunnels? to duck. So basically, if you were standing, you would need to bend your back completely. Okay. And even, like, squat a little bit. So you would, like, almost... You wouldn't crawl. I mean, 
let's say in meters in yeah. height, the tunnel would be one fifty. One no, no shorter. One. So I'm one sixty-seven, and it's now. It would maybe hundred and twenty. So Jesus. one twenty, and then by width it would be maybe. 120 as well, 130. Super tiny. Okay. So then you make your way, super claustrophobic. Um, and then these chambers open. We went to one chamber and it's 10 meters tall. Oh, no way. That big? It's huge. And then you are just standing there and feeling so insignificant. Did they leave some of the artifacts inside, or when you get in there, they're pretty no, empty? No, it's empty. It's, oh, it's, empty. Empty. it's but empty. But you still have the hieroglyphs and yes, all that. Yes, you okay. still see that. It's a little bit faded, but in some uh, chambers... So it's 4,000 years old. But so. it's, it's only like, the, the surprise thing, it's only a little bit faded because of the sunlight and everything. Uh -huh. So you can still see the original colors. That's amazing. That's mind-blowing. Huh? It's phenomenal. It's like, oh! So Egypt, so from all of the big historical um, monuments... Um, the only thing which I haven't seen is Abu symbol, and that's um, the temple at the end of the Nile, which you kind of need to get there mm -hmm, on the Nile, mm -hmm. on the River Nile. Uh, I would love to see that. So that's kind of like one thing which is missing from the list. Um, but yeah, if you do have the opportunity to go to Egypt, please go. It's it's phenomenal. It's it's such a again so alienating, uh -huh, so different, uh -huh. and you can really feel the the culture, the history. Then another, another country would be Cuba. Cuba was... Oh, you've been to Cuba. I've been to Cuba. Went there for about two or three weeks. Three weeks. Okay. Um, didn't go with any brand. Went with my mom. That's good. <laughs> That's much better, I think. Went with my mom. And it was... When you, are, when you walk in the streets of Havana, the architecture is outstanding. It is ever so slightly derelict. But if you kind of get past that, you can see, you can still feel the glory uh -huh. of once Havana, Cuba, been like in the 60s or 50s uh -huh. or 60s. And you see all the old timers, the cars, you mean. Of it's, course. It's, again. Cuba is famous for, right? Yeah. Like, and cigars. And the cigars. <laughs> and yeah, like, <laughs> like you, we've all seen documentaries in a cigar factory. There is a guy reading a newspaper. Uh, and you, when you are standing in that factory, you there is a guy reading a newspaper. That's crazy, huh? <laughs> and that's it. And then you try to roll a, a Cuban cigar. Have and you tried? You smoke it. I tried. How was it? It was good. Apparently, I did a good job. Oh, well Probably done. they told everyone that. <laughs> Wrong career choice for you right there. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> I will try to read the newspaper <laughs> in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, that, that probably is a bit more challenging. <laughs> so. um, yeah, so that was, that was great. Again, very memorable, very different, very alienating. So bringing it back to the bar planet, mm -hmm. if you were a... Uh, young bartender now starting in your career, mm -hmm. what sort of uh, advice would you give to, like, say to your younger self, uh, whatever, 15 years ago? Mm -hmm. what I, the advice I would give myself, if I'm going to phrase it that way, like, the advice I would give to myself all these years ago is don't be afraid. Just do what you set your mind on doing. Work hard. Read all the books. Watch all the videos of other bartenders. Go to these bars and work even harder. Um, if you really want something, there is no secret recipe to success. It's 
not applying that I'm successful or anything, um, is working hard. Mm-hmm. It's if you do want something, you need to set your mind onto it and have a very clear understanding what you want to achieve, where you want to be. And ask, ask yourself these questions as well. Where do you want to be in five years' time? Well, work towards that goal. If you want to work for a brand, then work towards that goal. It's just be persistent. Um, find also something which fulfills you on a side. Like, your, like we've talked about the hobbies. Mm-hmm. Bar is incredibly important, but if you will never be able to switch and recharge and to get new ideas, it might be a little bit hard. So, but also, most of all, enjoy what you do. Enjoy your love. Enjoy your work. Working in a hospitality is providing a service for someone else. So like if you, if you are not having a great time, probably your customer is not going to have mm-hmm. a good time. Totally agree. So it's it's all up to you, you know. Um, put on that uniform, have that to be your character, and deliver every night the best possible performance. Doesn't have to be the loudest, the happiest, the craziest, but always present yourself in the best possible way that your guest, whoever's sitting in front of you, will be leaving mind blown. Totally and, agree. Yeah. So when I started the. Uh, uh, my career, I'm sure it was pretty much the same for you. One of the main challenges I had uh, at the time was uh, the lack of uh, information sources. Mm. You know, because we don't have, we didn't have, I mean, I don't know about you, but like coming from, even coming from Italy, we had few bartending schools, mm. but they didn't necessarily work or some of the material they had was outdated. But nowadays with, with internet and like how easy it is to share information, there's so much more out there, you know? Yeah. And I think, like, this is probably one of the challenges that we managed to, like, solve within our industry. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the current challenges that uh, younger generations have? Or that you see things that we can do better in the industry together? Mm. I think... I would like to see the younger generation, and I'm talking, like, really when someone is starting, like, just pick up a book. You know, read, learn about it. It's, it's important to learn to walk before you start running. Mm-hmm. It's learn about who Jerry Thomas is and look at the recipes and try to analyze them. It's like, is it going to work today or is it not going to work today and why? Try to think about it. Try to also challenge yourself as well. Don't be just waiting for someone else to be coming back at you with questions. Always try to be asking yourself questions as well. I think the challenge is... Exactly as you said, we didn't really have on the beginning, you know, Google and stuff. Like, yeah, you would have laptop, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't necessarily have an iPhone. I don't yeah, know. When I started, I still had a flip phone, which yeah, barely, too, barely took any photos. <laughs> I had a Samsung thingy. And I remember I looked at some of the pictures I took like a while ago, and they looked like, what the hell is this, man? You can't even tell who's on a photo. Yeah, it's like six <laughs> pixels. What's exactly, this horrible thing? Exactly. Yeah, it's awful yeah. stuff. Jesus. So like, we didn't have such a, such, a, such a fast access. It's like, if I really wanted to learn something or like get this information, I had to wait after the shift or before oh, I went. I agree. Because I had my laptop and I could use that. When I had an idea during, well, it was a piece of paper and a pen, yeah. you know? And if yeah. I didn't know something, I had to turn around to my colleague and go, well, 
um, can you please tell me actually how to make a Negroni? Because yeah, actually, yeah. I have no idea what's inside. That's when you have all these uh, metropolitan legends that happen, yeah. right? Because nobody knows the answer yeah. to something, and then you yeah. just come up with it. Exactly. So, oh, I'm going to go to the back area. So like now, with all of, these, all of this technology and fast access to information, also the expectations are higher. Mm -hmm. Because you have all this, use it. Use it to your favor. So in terms of, we talked about past, uh, in terms of future, where do you see, like, in terms of trends and things like this, where do you see this industry going, like, say, within a few years ago? Because I think, like, some of the big bars, like, I think Dandelion was one of the first ones that actually started to see it as foraging being one mm. of the big, big trends, and, mm -hmm. and, like, they were sort of pioneering that, like, other bars, like, mm -hmm. you know, Scout and places like Operation Dagger, they focused on that quite a lot. Where do you think is uh, the industry going right now? Um, and, and very I'm, good question. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, industry is always evolving. Mm -hmm. It's always morphing into something new. What the next big trend might be, I'm not really sure. God knows. Uh, maybe, you know, you're going to make the biggest trend. Who knows, um, yeah. At the moment, at this very moment, we see a lot of home fermentation, a lot of uh, kombuchas and uh, tapaches and all of this. So we are going even further uh, when uh, making ingredients or homemade ingredients and rotobaps and sonic wave machines. And we are combining the culinary with the bar even more so like before, literally using the tools. Uh, what, where this will lead to? I think, I'm, I'm not sure what the next... I don't have the answer. I don't know. Like, what the next big thing is going to be? No idea. Maybe we'll go back to classics. Maybe we'll go to complete minimalism. Just one leaf on a, on a rim of a glass. Um, uh -huh. Moving away from the crazy garnishes and amazing um, glassware and vessels. Uh, or maybe it's going to be just about the homemade vessels. Let's say you want to have a drink around Italy. You're going to go into Italy and source some sort of a porcelain. So... It can go either way, but what good thing is people are being extremely creative and they're doing a lot of research when it comes to flavors and ingredients and techniques, and that is just giving expansion to other possibilities. It's, I love, like for example, what Alex and Monica said um, in their interview that in their new venue, they're going to be using the road of apps and all the crazy stuff, but they're not necessarily going to be talking about that. Mm -hmm. When it comes to consumers, mm -hmm. so you're gonna still get an amazing drink. But if you're not gonna, if you don't want to know about it, we're not gonna force you to. Mm -hmm. No, you know. So the thought process, how to make an amazing drink, is there, and how to utilize whatever tools we have. Uh, I think that's brilliant to see. So that's what's currently happening. Where it's gonna go, I don't know. But I'm really curious to see. I really want to know. Me too. Can't wait to see. Right. So uh, last question for today, uh, which we ask everybody. So Yes, Italy you, is my favorite country. Yeah. <laughs> no, is uh, if you are about to be uh, executed, what would be your last drink? If Executed? Yeah, death row. Okay, Full on, what last would be, drink. What, what would be my execution? Uh, is it a chair? Electric is chair. It electric chair, okay. Last it, drink. 
Uh, the drink would be a glass with poison, which I would die ASAP. I don't fancy electric chair. Okay, okay, let's not do electric chair. Like, you're about to die of the swiftest, uh, most uh, okay, painful. The injection, the injection. Okay, injection. Okay. Okay, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> like, if electric chair, last I want to dr drink a poison. Um, last drink, okay, first thing which popped into my mom's sh mind, champagne. Glass of champagne? Gla bottle. Uh, <laughs> case. You know, like, case actually, of champagne. It's funny because, like, one of my colleagues just did this question the other day, and I was saying, like, oh, you know what? It probably have some fizz. And, uh, yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> it's just, you know, champagne for every occasion. You celebrate, you have anniversaries, <laughs> uh, birthdays. <laughs> Or just for no whatever reason, or just being executed, you know? <laughs> just it fits every occasion. Cool. <laughs> Me, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Mimi Schofield. You can find more content from us on YouTube and Instagram where we post our hashtag Classic Tuesday videos, where every Tuesday we show you how to make classic cocktails in less than one minute. We are Unjigged Media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself, Rozelle23 for Rozelle and Adrian Bessa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.